Well, today is the last part of the Epic Story series. We've been in this for two months. We started with the prologue. We've looked at uh, six of the first chapters of the Epic Story. Today's chapter number seven. And if you're new, you can go on our website or our church app, listen to prior messages. We've had online devotionals that, that go along with the themes every day on the Facebook page, on the church app as well. And you can watch all those to get caught up. But just to kind of catch you up to where we are today... Um, We spent the first three weeks, really, in the book of Genesis as we've looked at these topics of creation and corruption and covenant. And this all follows kind of the biblical chronology because that was Genesis. And then we jumped from the rest of Genesis and Exodus all the way through the book of Malachi as we looked at this topic of conflict and captivity, of the journey of the Old Testament saints and how they struggled to walk with God until the time when Jesus came in the, in the section on Christ, which is really the, the center of it all. And that's the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And last week, Pastor Sam did a great job of portraying to us the, the ministry of the church, how we gather together for community, how we spread into the community um, for mission. And so the church age goes from the book of Acts all the way really to the end of the Bible. But today we're, we're looking at the very end of the story and, and largely in the book of Revelation. Though we're not going to go into detail in the book of Revelation. We're looking at this ultimate theme of conquest. That in the end, Jesus wins. He's triumphant. And if I could summarize today's story or today's lesson in one simple line, it would be this. The end of the story is triumph and glory. That Jesus wins, that Jesus is worshipped through eternity by his followers. And so as we go into this last message today, I'm going to ask you, as we talk about how to be ready for Jesus' conquest, how to be prepared for his coming, his return that the Bible talks about, that we would truly be ready. And so to, to prepare our hearts for today, would you pray with me? Lord, we come today, some of us, very busy schedules, frantic weeks, some with a lot of questions. But we pray, Lord, that today that you'd speak to our hearts through your word. We pray, Lord, that we would be stirred to action to live more fully for you, Father, that you would use us as part of this story, Father, to accomplish your purpose on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Years ago, I remember watching the uh, trilogy of Back to the Future. And I didn't know this until recently, that there is a uh, picture in the second episode of the Back to the Future trilogy that says the Chicago Cubs win the World Series in the year 2015. Now, I grew up as a Chicago Cubs fan, and uh, that's sweet news to me. And if you didn't see it, here's a brief clip from that episode of the story. Hey, kid, come a hundred bucks, will you, and help save the clock tower? I uh, sorry, no. Come on, kid, that's an important historical landmark. Look, some other time. Lightning struck that thing 60 years ago. Wait a minute. Cubs win World Series against Miami? Yeah, it's something, huh? Who would have thought? Hundreds of one shot. I wish I could go back to the beginning of the season, put some money on the Cubs. I just meant Miami. What did you just say? I said I wish I could go back to the beginning of the season, put some money on the Cubbies. If you knew Cubs were going to win the World Series... Wouldn't you put something on the line? Well, here's the truth. This book tells us who wins in the end. And this book tells us with prophecies what's going to happen, that Jesus wins triumphant in the end. Wouldn't it make sense to gamble on him? Wouldn't it make sense to put it all on Jesus Christ? Wouldn't it be foolish if you knew that was true not to give it all for him? See, we're looking at this this story today. 
And the Bible has so many prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus' life and will be fulfilled in the future. And so I want to spend a, a few minutes looking at some of the things to come that are in the book of Revelation. Now, some of you may be disappointed because I'm not going to go into a lot of detail in the book of Revelation. This was revelation given to one of Jesus' disciples, the disciple John, who was in prison on the island of Patmos. And while he was there, he received this really weird picture, series of pictures, a lot of symbolism, a lot of numbers, and people have wrestled and argued for ages of what it means. And some people have laid out detailed um, explanations of every piece of that, and others have looked at that and seen it as more symbolic, as picturesque. Uh, uh, the numbers aren't literal numbers, and the beast isn't a literal beast. It's a symbolic of something that's spiritual and evil. And, and I don't know, and I don't have the answers to all those questions, but I do know this, that the truths and the major themes that we read in the book of, of Revelation, every Christian should agree on. Because Jesus is coming again, and there are things that will begin to unfold in the end of time. And so here are five themes that we can look forward to, five expectations of the future. Number one is the spectacular return of Christ. The spectacular return of Christ. Revelation chapter one says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him and even those who pierced him and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. I am the alpha and omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. Christians believe that Jesus will return. Now there's some debate over, is he coming two times, one time in a hidden coming and a partial coming and one time more fully and in grandiose fashion, but we know for sure Jesus is going to come again, and it says every eye will see him, and people will mourn because of it. Doesn't that surprise you? But the people that will be mourning are the people that have rejected him, have not bowed their knee to him yet, have not surrendered to him as king and lord. And uh, I don't know about you, but I want to be on the welcoming committee, not the mourning team. Jesus is coming again. We know that for sure. Something else that we know that's coming is an intensifying spiritual warfare ending in victory. Again, a couple, just a couple verses from Revelation chapter 19. John sees this. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. So Jesus is coming again. This is not a coming to give love. It's coming to bring justice his first coming was a coming to display love. His return is to bring justice. Down in verse 19, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. There is throughout the book of Revelation this constant conflict that's in the spiritual realm but even taking place on the earth as well that's manifesting itself in physical ways. Intense conflict and warfare but it ultimately ends with Jesus coming on the horse with emblazoned on his side King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he will triumph. Here's something else we can look forward to. Joining the angels and nations in ceaseless worship. In the fifth chapter, starting with verse 11, it says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. That's a whole lot of angels. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory 
and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. There is this great gathering of, of thousands, if not millions, of angels and people who are redeemed, worshiping him, giving him honor and praise for who he is. We'll do a lot of worshiping in heaven, and today we've just been singing as a prelude to what we'll experience. On earth, as the church, we go out and we we take the message of the gospel to the nations, but then we find the nations gathered together before the throne as one huge family in ceaseless worship. Here's something else that's coming. We'll be standing before the throne of judgment. We'll stand before the throne of judgment. In chapter 20, starting with 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead, and that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There is coming a day of judgment for every human being who's been on this planet. And these books will be open, and these books have recorded all that we have done. The good, the bad, the ugly. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody opening my book. All the secrets, all the stories, all the sins and flaws and things I've done, words that came out that I wish I wouldn't have spoken, they're all there. They're all there in the books. All fully exposed. I cannot stand before the Lord with that book open and say, I deserve heaven. That book will condemn me. But praise God, there's another book. It's called the book of life. In another place, it's called the Lamb's book of life. And it says those whose names are in the book of life will enter in, will be be free. It's kind of like a reservation book showing up at the the counter. It says, is my name there? Yep, here it is. Darren Rondi, Reservation for Heaven. Woo, I'm in. It's awesome. That other book, it's closed. Nobody's even gonna open it. But this book, my name's there. My question for you is which Which book will represent you at the judgment day? Because there's only two books. Either either the book of your works, which will prove whether you're worthy or not, and obviously none of us are, or the book of life that you've already chosen to inscribe your name on, and you do that when you bow the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord here on earth. Our names get written in the book of life. And here's here's a sad thing, and this is reality, that every name not written in the book of life he says, they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, now, that bothers us. Why would God do that? Well, I'll tell you why God could do that. If all of our lives we said, God, you're no big deal to me. In fact, I don't want you messing with my life. I don't like you intruding in my life. I'm fine on my own. God says, have it your way forever. If you didn't want me then, why would you want me in eternity? But if you want Jesus now, you get him for eternity. So really, we can look forward to it if we're truly prepared for it. Then the last thing, the theme of the book of Revelation, really what to look forward to is this return to Eden, this return to the glory of how God made the earth from the very beginning. 
Um, we call it heaven. But it's described here in the last chapter of the Bible like this. Then the angel showed me the river and the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing the 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Remember the tree of life some, some other place? Book of Genesis. Here it is again. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. No more death. No more sorrow. No more pain. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. This this experience of being in God's presence like Adam and Eve did at the very beginning will be returned. I don't know what heaven will be like, but I, I know this. It will be at least as beautiful as the Garden of Eden and probably many times better. Definitely will be without any sin or corruption because it'll be perfect. We have that to look forward to. Now, any one of these we could go into and spend a lot of detail. We just know these things are coming. And, and they've got a, there's a lot of stuff that goes with them. But what I want to focus on today was if we know that's coming, if we know how the story ends, then what does that mean right now? See, someone asked this week a question like, I, I don't see myself in this epic story. Like, this is for other people, but not for me. But the truth is, this epic story is where you find your story. God has this great story going on, and our story is found as a piece of it, as a part, as a character within God's bigger story. So how should we live? Well, the Apostle Paul, I believe, sets a great example for us. When he wrote this letter to Timothy, Paul's in prison. It's possible that he's going to be executed. He's been traveling all over Asia Minor, planting churches, And he writes to this young pastor these words, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. When people are looking forward to the appearing of Christ, to his second coming, They live in such a way that shows that they are ready for that. And Paul says, I'm ready. I'm ready to depart. In fact, that word depart means to kind of untie the knot of a ship that's been docked. It's like, I'm ready to set sail for my new home. I'm ready to go. And the reason I'm ready to go is because of certain things I made sure happened in my life. And those three things are great advice for us. First, he said, I fought the good fight. And you and I need to heed that and fight the battle. Fight the battle. The Christian life is not a walk in the park, unless your park is in Afghanistan with armed rebels on either side. Because it is dangerous. It is dangerous to follow Jesus. You become the center of of the focus of evil forces. In fact, when Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus, when you get to the last chapter, chapter 6, he says in verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Some of your Bibles say we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, if you've ever wrestled, you know that in wrestling, it is intense face-to-face combat. And when you wrestle, you cannot let your guard down. If, if you ease up just for 10 seconds, you're pinned. It is tiring, it is hard, it is, it is difficult work to wrestle. And he says that's what you're going through against a spiritual force of evil in your life. It is a struggle. 
is not easy. The Christian life and the Christian fellowship is not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. And here are evil forces over here, headed up by Satan and his demons. And here's God over here with angelic forces. And you're in the middle. And both want you. Jesus loves you and, and, and longs for you to, to be devoted to him. But Satan is like a, a mock ruler who set up a kingdom on this earth. And he says, you belong to him. And he pursues you. And when you turn your back on him, he comes after you with a vengeance. The Bible even says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So Paul writes after he talks about putting on all this spiritual armor in Ephesians 6, he says, put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, all these different things. But then he says this, and be alert, and be alert. It's like you got to keep your eyes out for Satan all the time. See, he, he, the Bible says he's a tempter who wants to lure you into a trap. He's a deceiver who wants to whisper lies into your mind. He's an accuser who wants to take you back to who you were rather than to remind you who you are in Christ. He's a murderer who wants to destroy your relationship with God, with your spouse, with your kids, with your neighbor, with everybody else. Jesus told a parable once of a sower who sowed seeds and seeds that fell on the hard path were snatched up by birds. And when he explained the parable, he says the the seed is the word of God. And when the seed does not penetrate the soil, the evil one snatches it away. One of the reasons I urge you that every time you open up God's word, every time you have a quiet time, every Bible study you go to, every church service you come to, that you need to consciously say, God, my heart is open to you. My mind is open to hear what you have to say. Because if you don't, here's the likelihood. That word will sit on the surface of your heart and before long it's gone. You'll forget it. You'll, you'll walk away saying, that didn't apply to me. It had nothing to do with me. Well, because you didn't even offer your heart. You didn't till the soil of your soul first. And if you don't do that, the word's just going to sit there and it's going to seem irrelevant to you. And Satan says, good, that's for me. I'll take it away. Uh, years ago, a group of us went to Tanzania, Africa, and we had a fun day where we went to a, a nature preserve. And during the lunch hour, we, we sat beside this, this big pond where the hippos were we're bathing, and there were birds flying overhead. And the guide reminded us that when we receive, we receive these boxed lunches, that be careful because the birds like to take things. And if you've been at a picnic, sometimes birds come around, they pack and take things. But you've never seen birds like these kite birds. One of, one of the kids opened up their boxed lunch, took out the piece of fried chicken, and instantly it was snatched out of her hand. <laughs> because those birds will swoop down in, I swear, less than a second. They're way up there, and they're here. And so the rest of the day, we're all sitting around kind of opening up these boxes, kind of eating food like this because those birds are so, they're so sneaky. They're so fast. And Satan's just as fast. You open up, crack in your life, he zooms in there. And you know some of the, the, the times when Satan really has access to us? When you're angry, when you're discouraged, when you're depressed. You know what else he likes to In fact, I think this may be the biggest time when you're successful. Because when you're proud, you're basically laying yourself out before Satan who who identifies with the sin of pride. And that's when you believe a lot of his lies. Be alert. And then he goes on right after that and says, and keep on praying for all the saints. Your biggest weapon against the evil one is prayer. 
If you've not seen the movie War Room, you need to get over to see it as soon as you can. It is a great movie about the, about the, the importance of us praying and interceding for people in our lives. That prayer is not, prayer is not a, a time to write out requests, kind of like the, the radio station, say, would you do this for me, God, if you get out around to it, can you, can you do this? Prayer is a time where you wrestle and says, God, you do not have my kids. I'm interceding for them in Jesus' name. They belong to you. I cover them with your blood. When you intercede for the people around you, when you intercede for your uh, parents, when you intercede for your neighbors, when you intercede for people around the world, you do it with authority because we know that greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's why it's not physical weapons we fight with. Prayer is our biggest weapon against the evil one. And many of us are very casual and nonchalant about prayer, but you need to get serious about prayer because the stakes are so high. And what God will do through prayer will amaze you if you allow him to. So, so as, as we stand against the enemy, it may be best just to kneel and fight him that way in prayer. So fight the battle. Then he goes on to say, I finished the race. That just really means to finish your assignment. Finish your assignment. Complete the assignment. Paul went from being a disciple hater to a disciple maker because he experienced a transformation on the road to Damascus when Jesus encountered him and, and Paul, who was out to persecute Christians, turned around and God then gave him this, this assignment. You will be a light to the Gentiles. You will take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so Paul did that with his life. And I, I think the reason God chose Paul was because the disciples had such a hard time getting outside of Jerusalem. They had a hard time getting outside of the Jewish community. God had to smack Peter on the side of the head with this vision of a sheet with animals on saying, hey, I made all people. They're all worthy of this. But, but Paul really became an aggressive missionary to take the gospel to other places. Do you know that in sharing the gospel, we speed the Lord's coming? In Matthew 24, verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Well, if Jesus says the gospel go to all nations and then the end will come, we can't sit on our, our, our bottoms and just say, Jesus, come, Jesus, come. We've got to get out there and share the gospel with those who don't know to speed his coming. And I don't know when that's complete. I don't know when the gospel's gone into every language and every tribe and everyone has at least an opportunity to hear. But there will come a time when that occurs and Jesus says, okay, it's time. And we speed the coming by investing in taking the gospel to others. We do that locally in the community, but we do that even further. We have missionaries that go all around the world. In January, we've got a young couple in this church going to Indonesia. Indonesia has the highest population of Muslims in the world. And it's not easy to share the gospel there. You've got to live it out in your lifestyle. And so Ben and Heidi Fisher are going there, and we as a church are sending them where their primary support as they go into this dangerous area to take the gospel. Now, why would we do that? Why would they do that? Because those are people Jesus loves. Those are people Jesus died for, and they need, they need the opportunity to hear. And so we as a church have an opportunity. When we package up Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes, they put in there a, a pamphlet about Jesus. And some kids find the Lord through that generosity. When people walk in the door on Sunday morning here at this place, we have an opportunity. See, I look at Sundays as our open house to the community. It's a time when people come in. We even advertise it on the corner, and we have greeters at the door, and we, we, we do our best to remove obstacles. And if you're a guest today, we, we plan today for you. 
We've picked music for you. We've, we've picked sermon topics for you. We've thought of you. Not that we don't benefit, but our goal is to help introduce you to the one we've come to know as Lord and Savior. And we want you to know and surrender and bow your knee to this one named Jesus. What is your assignment? What place do you, do you fit in there? We've got people who lead small groups for children. That's their piece of sharing this story with others. Um, we, we, have, we have people who, who stand, I said, welcome people as they come in the door. That's their piece in helping people come to know Jesus. We have people who go into the community in different ways, and that's the role. But what is your assignment? What has God give you, given you in the way of resources, gifts, time, opportunity? Whatever your assignment is, fulfill it so that you'll be ready when he comes back. And then he goes on to say, I've kept the faith, which simply tells us to maintain our faith. I received a note from a child this week that said, "Um, thank you, Pastor, for teaching our church. And by the way, the epic story is frightening. (laughs) And I think it's those bumper videos at the beginning that are pretty intense. But honestly, today's, today's is kind of frightening. You read through the book of Revelation, kind of frightening, especially for kids. It's a story. It reminds us that it is not easy to hold on to your faith. And when this was first given to the believers, they were being persecuted by Roman authorities. There were Christians who were getting executed for their faith. And, and if they stood up for Jesus, they could die. And so they were told to hold on to your faith. Seven times in the letters to churches, there's seven small letters in chapter two and three of Revelation. There's one phrase repeated in every one of those letters. To him who overcomes. Or to the one who is victorious. God will give a reward. God will give favor and blessing to you. But you've got to overcome. That means there's obstacles. There's burdens. There's conflict. Jesus said if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. And it's not going to just happen in the future. It's already happening. If you're a Christian in the Middle East and ISIS comes to you, we've watched Christians have their throats slit for their faith. Here in America, two weeks ago, at a small college up in Oregon, a gunman entered the college, killed nine people. And of those people, he, he began to ask them what their faith was. And if they said they believed in Jesus, he said, you're going to go see him in a minute. Boom, shot him in the head. Let me ask you, the gunman did, held a gun at your head and said, do you believe in Jesus? What would you say? Let me ask you a harder question. If you're a parent and you've got a kid in college and, that, and your child is asked that question, what do you want your child to say? See, there's a price that we sometimes pay for loyalty to Jesus. And you go through the Bible, it's not all sunshine and roses. You find Christians who are tortured, who are punished, who are crucified, who are sawed in half, thrown to the lions, punished in, in just horrible ways. And so you have to hold on to the faith. But if we hold on to the faith, there is stored up for us reward. Reward. In fact, Revelation 21.7 says this. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Paul, Paul gives this picture here that his life is like a drink offering poured out. I get this feeling that Paul says, God, I've given it all. There, there's hardly a drop left. I, I, I finished the race. I fought the fight. I'm holding on to my faith. What's more? I'm, I'm ready to go if you're ready to take me. I'm reminded of Mally Whitley, whose service will be 2.30 this afternoon. 
Malley was 93 years old, up until recently was still teaching adult Bible studies. She was a youth group leader, children's teacher, wrote questions for Bible Bowl, took kids on youth group trips, traveled overseas for missionary trips, constantly gave of herself. And her prayer in these recent months was this, Lord, use me till you use me up. In other words, her life was a drink offering being poured out to the Lord. And you know what bothered me sometimes about us? Is, is we have people who will, who will actually jump around church to church or, or drop out of things saying, I'm not being filled anymore. And you are not called to be filled. You are called to be emptied. Jesus emptied himself, the Bible says, and came to earth, became a servant. I don't come to church to get filled. I come to give. Now, if you're new here and you're visiting, there's a time to be filled. There's a time to come to the Lord. He fills you. But we as a church have an obligation to help you pour your life out. Jesus said that you find life by giving it out. And I don't know why, but in our culture, we've got a very selfish culture right now that's, that's always asking, what's in it for me? Why should I give? What's in it for me? Why should, I, why should I go to church every week? What's in it for me? Why should I go to a small group? What's in it for me? Why should I go serve on a mission trip or do a shoebox? What's in it for me? You know what? There, there's, a, there's a voice in my home, and I'm not going to tell you uh, where the voice comes from because she'll be really mad if I, if I give her name, but... Every once in a while, I, I'll complain about something in the house, and this voice will say, well, who said it was about you? Kind of humbling. It's not about me. And frankly, it's not about you. It's about Jesus and his mission and his calling. And we've got to move beyond asking ourselves, what's in it for me, to ask what's in it for God. In fact, you know the reason I give, the reason I, I come to church on Sunday, the reason I go to a small group, the reason I do all these things, very little has to do with what's in it for me. I do it because there are people who need to be encouraged, people who need to be loved, people who need to be taught, people who need to be helped. And when you pour yourself out, you find your life. That's why this month we're giving you all kinds of opportunities to pour yourself out because you will find great joy in doing that. So now we come to the end of this epic story, the story that Jesus is doing in this world, and we're invited to be part of it. And we need to be asking a question, not God, how do you fit into my life, but God, how do I fit into your story? And I know this, that the people that live in light of the second coming of Jesus, who pour themselves out for Christ, they're the ones who are ready. Well, thanks for listening and watching online this week for the final installment of the Epic Story series. We're so glad that you've joined us. And I hope that through the course of the series that you've realized that Jesus Christ really is the central figure in the entire Bible from the beginning of creation all the way through the kings, through the captivity and the judges that brought them out of it into the New Testament. Even where we are today and our future is all about Jesus Christ. So I hope that that's a truth that you can just kind of breathe into your life and understand that you are living as a part of his epic story. And the amazing thing about it is that he wants us to be a part of it. He wants us to be a part of his story. So I hope that maybe you've made a decision, whether it's this week or in previous weeks, to become an active part of that story. And maybe that means just getting involved uh, as a Christian in the world and, and making a difference for Jesus. Maybe that means for the first time in your life, you're going to become a part of his family. For the first time, you're going to enter into that story. And I hope that that's where you are right now. 
But if you're not there or you need some guidance or you just need to be walked with through this time, then please go to our website, pikespeakchristian.org, and connect with us on there. Let us know what you need prayer for and let us pray for you. Let us know if you need us to contact you and we will walk through this season of life with you. So please find us, contact us. We are praying for you in your journey right now. Now, coming up next week, we are starting a brand new series on generosity. It's going to be an amazing time. And I hope that you'll continue to tune in and watch online. Or if you're local to Colorado Springs, I hope that you'll come by Pikes Peak Christian Church and join us as a part of this family. And until then, I want you to know that I love you, Jesus loves you, and God bless.